This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me tonight, as usual, are Richard Hawes. Hello, everyone. And Stephen Lockridge. Hello. In a second, we're going to be talking to James Couchet, the director of Lost Phoenix. If you listen to our episode, a couple of... Which episode was it? A couple of weeks ago? It was... Oh, uh, I think it was episode two, 256. So about, uh, what, two, three episodes ago? Yeah, there you go. Um, yes, a film that me and Rich enjoyed. Steve, not so much. Um, but we're going to be talking to him. I'm looking forward to that. After that, uh, we've got three main reviews. Uh, we're going to kick off with the uh, biblical horror movie Deliver Us. Uh, then we have the desert folk horror, The Seeding, and Marmalade. Our short shot is Hit Me, and our DTV throwback is National Lampoon's Senior Trip. So without further ado, let's crack on. Okay, so we are joined by James Couchet, the director of Lost Phoenix, a film that we covered a couple of episodes ago. Uh, James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Um, could you give us a bit of a background as to who you are and how you got into filmmaking? So I was always kind of a nerdy kid, um, and I think my love of dinosaurs led to a love of film. <clears throat> uh, I knew I wanted, it was actually, I think it was a Jurassic Park that did it because if anyone remembers, Jurassic Park hit theaters and then didn't hit video for another entire year, which mm. is crazy to think when now it's like, you're lucky if you have a 30 day window in theaters. But in the meantime, the only thing I could get was this videotape about the making of Jurassic Park. And so this is me trying to scratch my itch as like, a, I think it was a 12 year old and I watched it and I got to see the filmmaking process and the problem solving process. And just like, it absolutely amazed me. And like, this is like, I want to do this. This is so cool. And it kind of went from there. You know, I started getting more and more into movies, became a, a hardcore cinephile by the late nineties. And for whatever reason, the genre that really kind of drew me was action, but it was also the best time to be an action movie fan because you know, Hollywood was cranking out amazing stuff. We were getting all this great Hong Kong stuff. So it was this great time to be a fan. Uh, and then in the early 2000s, I joined the Air Force um, for a very tumultuous four years. <laughs> uh, I was there for two declarations of war and a major terrorist attack. And when I got out, I went to college and my goal was I want to start making movies. I want to be an indie filmmaker. And within a year... Uh, within a year of leaving the Air Force, I was shooting my first short film, which is online. It's called Severance. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, it's a whole bunch of college students who were trying to play like hitmen and gangsters. And just we look like college students pretending to be hitmen and gangsters. But yeah, that all, that all started in 2005. And about 2020 was when I started production on my first my first feature and if you had told me that uh 
there's going to be a global pandemic and that's going to lead to you making your first action feature. I, I don't know how I would have reacted to that like 10 years ago. So, so I mean, you're talking about Lost Phoenix, of course, is what, which, were, yes. uh, as I said, we, we reviewed recently. Um, so how, how long was that sort of in, in development, in, in sort of gestation before COVID hit? Strangely enough, it wasn't, it was not in gestation at all. All right. So, okay. Yeah. So coming into, so basically uh, Lost Phoenix was my first feature, but not my first attempt. Uh, it was my third attempt. Uh, the first one fell apart before you know, shooting even started. I learned from that, came back and started production on another feature um, that we were filming for about six months. And then, you know, things things started getting kind of dicey. We started hearing about this coronavirus coming out of China. And then my I have actors like, hey, are you what what do you think is gonna happen with this with this virus? Is it gonna be do we need to put off production? I thought, ah, well, you know, whatever. That was back when we all thought this was all gonna blow over in two months. Um, <laughs> but that the the pandemic effectively killed my second attempt at the feature, and I was really depressed and really bummed out. And I then had, you know, this dark thought, like, what would it be like to wake up now with amnesia? And you don't know anything from before now. So literally your world is the world of 2020. And, you know, I, at that, around that point, I was kind of like, I need to do something. I'm extremely, extremely depressed. So I put together this short proof of concept we went out and shot it in late October, 2020. And after going through it, cutting it together, realizing, you know, there, there's something here. So I started to work, I think I want to say it was uh, maybe mid-November of 2020, I started to write the script. And I literally wrote it specifically to take place during the pandemic so that I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to like do all the weird cheats those un the uncanniness of pandemic era movies where uh, everything is shot weird. The actors are blocked strangely. There's a lot of close-ups. It's like, no, this is a, there's a reason why the actors are standing so far apart. There's a reason why, you know, everybody's fighting with masks on, you know, I didn't want to shy away from that. Um, and it was, have, I, have you guys seen um, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That movie is an is amazing because every every shot you can see them trying to work around the pandemic restrictions, like the lens choices, the the blocking, the, the character placement, the fact that everything feels weirdly empty, even when they're in places they're supposed to be very crowded. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like I didn't I, I wanted to avoid that uncanniness by just leaning into the fact that, yep, this is this happens in mid-September of 2020. No, so, I mean, it's interesting you say that about that sort of leaning into, you know, the whole premise of, of being set during lockdown. And and I think, you know, when we watched the film, um, we, we found it quite, you know, there's a weird sort of idiosyncrasy in uh, your main character sort of putting on his mask every time he's going to fight somebody, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and and at the time I th when I was watching it, I'm thinking, oh, may maybe that's so, they, it's easier to double him or, or something, you know, sort of during the fights. Um but then, you know, Rich mentioned, no, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's COVID sort of thing. So it, it, it is interesting that, you know, you've got a character who is that self-conscious about it. It's like, I'm going to fight you, but I'm not taking risks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put my mask on, which, I thought, you know, thinking about it, it's like, 
yeah, I, I could, I could, I could, I could see that happening. It's, it's a, a cool little sort of thing. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we've, um, you know, we've covered a lot of sort of COVID era films. I, I, th I think we, you know, for the next couple of years, we're still going to see them. Um, you know, films that were sort of produced under those sort of restrictions. Um, funny enough, we've got another one that we're going to be discussing later this evening. Um, we, we did one last week, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting in that, um, you know, people do find, um, you know, different, different types of stories that fit that kind of thing. So, you know, but we, we haven't seen many action films, uh, admittedly. Uh, so, so, you know, that was um, definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, Rich, any, any questions from you at this point? Yeah, I was, I've, I've got a couple about the casting of, uh, of Lost Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, uh, specifically about, uh, now I, I might butcher his name here, Juan Dral. Uh, who's no, your? Accurate, yeah, who's who's your who's your lead? Um, mm -hmm. I just want as I, I, as I commented uh, when we reviewed the film. You, I, as far as I'm aware, well, I might be wrong, but it's certainly the nationality in, in the film. It seems that he's Haitian, and I just thought, wow, that's really unusual for like a, 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 a an action movie or any movie in general to, out of uh, out of the United States to have a Haitian lead. And I thought. How did that come about? What, what, what was the genesis of the character and of the casting? So this was an interesting situation. So the movie I was shooting before COVID happened. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, you know, uh, long story short, Wandral and I lived in the same apartment building. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we met because I'm coming downstairs to meet the, this actress who's going to scene. And I see her talking to this guy. And, you know, this guy's like sharply dressed. He's like, you know, a lot of charisma, a lot of personality. And he introduces himself and, you know, he's like, shows an interest in being in movies. And at that point, you know, the, the movie we were filming was all cast up. We didn't really have any other roles, but I'm like, I, I never forgot him um, because he made, because he's like, you, you don't forget someone like him. And when I was coming up with Lost Phoenix, I was like, okay, well, who, who would I make the lead? I kind of wrote the lead originally very, in a very generic way. But then I remembered like, well, maybe I should try to, I wonder if he still lives in the same building. And I reach out to him. He still lives there. It was a pretty big apartment building. And so we meet up outside to kind of talk about the movie. And at the time, it was just a proof of concept just to see like, okay, does he have the screen presence and charisma to carry this character? Does, does the idea hold weight? Can I make it, you know, not look too too weird uh with the characters putting on masks to fight and um yeah he i remember thinking like okay he's he had never acted before he had done some modeling but i noticed that he was he, like he was very comfortable on camera even from the very beginning even like the very first night you can see like yeah he he seems like he's in his element he like has tons of personality he actually had a lot of screen presence and I think that was a lot of what made me realize, okay, we can we can go forward with this. But what was really cool is he got extremely serious about about do, being better. Like the the only the only thing that remains of the proof of concept we shot was the scene with the detective at the at the canal. That's the only thing that we that we shot from the uh, proof of concept that actually made it into the film. But after that, he started like diving into like interviews with actors and learning trying to figure out like well, how do they 
how what's their process for learning their characters and kind of embodying their characters. He also started working with a friend of his who was a kickboxer to make his like to make his like kicking and his fighting moves better and then also started really working out so you can kind of see like that that very that proof of concept scene he's a little bit uh skinnier a little bit lankier and then you know cut to like the next scenes like he looks a bit more solid he actually like he did he never he never got like you know bulky but he did kind of bulk up but yeah it's just wild that we just lived in the same building that's <laughs> and crazy. that's how we met yeah. so so he wasn't even a martial artist this guy is basically you know built him up from scratch almost pretty much yeah he knew some stuff yeah uh, he had he had kind of like learned karate back in the day but he hadn't done it in a while so i i worked with him to try to like teach him how to do choreographed fighting mm -hmm. And he just like, we just kind of worried because we lived in the same building, we just kind of meet in the basement gym and just kind of work regularly, like to work on form, work on timing, work on rhythm and kind of go from there. So we, I, I worked with him to kind of get him, get him ready. But at the same time, the major, a lot of the cast had either never acted before or they'd never done fight scenes like this before. So it led to a lot of uh, this trying to accommodate that and work around that but also try to give them as many tools as i could to to, to let them do better fights than they otherwise would have absolutely and and you know it certainly pays off in the film you know i i, I would never have assumed that um one child didn't have that sort of like you know um that background at all uh, nor that this was his first film um you know, we 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 did sort of point out, sort you know, sort of line delivery, but um, but you know, if you think about it, you know, the eighties and nineties, sort of the top action heroes, one was Belgian, one was Danish, one was Austrian, <laughs> you know, so it's a uh, no surprise. Uh, one was French, in fact, Oliver Grunier was French, I think so. Oh, Grunier was French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, no, I thought it was great. Um, just to satisfy my curiosity, um, something I picked up uh, when, during the um, the sword duel at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so sort of both people have very distinctive sort of styles of holding their swords, and I just want to know, know if I'm correct in thinking you sort of like were sort of tipping your hat to Zatoichi and um, uh, Shogun Assassin. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Fun fact, David Norton, uh, who plays the, the film's main villain, he is actually an Aikido sensei, and he's been practicing Iaido for years. So he actually is a legit sword fighter. And he kind of has a much more, so I kind of used his much more disciplined, like just more disciplined form. Whereas mm. Juan, his character might not have been as disciplined. So he kind of goes and uses, he succeeds when he uses the sword more as like a defensive weapon and then uses oh. his like kicking against David. But it's interesting because there would be, we, uh, I actually had David uh, teach Juan some sword basics so that he would look, not necessarily look super proficient, but it would look comfortable on camera wielding it. Mm -hmm. And even during, even on the day we would say like break for lunch or something. And 
even as we're coming back from lunch and kind of getting the gear ready to have like David and Juan go, like, yeah, go, go do, go get warmed up. David running through some forms, um, try to like always kind of like teaching. And, and he's such a great teacher that I could just kind of like hand him, hand Juan off to him and be like, all right, I can, I, you can, you got this. Um, and I think that really helped because originally David wasn't going to have that sword fight. Right. But there were so many changes, logistical changes made to the end of the movie that it came. And I also kind of like realized, you know, I need, why am I wasting this person's <laughs> obvious talent here? I, I need to make use of this. And for a lot of people, like they were legitimately, you know, spoilers, uh, they were legitimately surprised uh, when that happened. Yeah, it's a good fight yeah. as well. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really good fight. Um, well, that's one of the things I, I was literally, that was going to be my next question because I was wondering, you know, he's quite a newbie, whereas David Norton, you've got a history of working together in the past. And I thought about at the point that I'd seen the movie, I didn't know that. And, you know, when we're introduced to his character, he's, you know, talking behind the, the desk and stuff. And he just looks like a, you know, he just looks like a guy in an office. And then the, the progression of his character is fantastic. And the stuff, and then you see the stuff that he's capable of at the end. Um, as you know, as we get towards that climax, I think that's a really great progression for that uh, uh, for that character, and also, you know, for 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 uh, those who've not seen uh, David Norton before, I went back and watched uh, some some of your shorts uh, that I'd seen him in, like Dumbass uh, Shakedown, yeah, uh, and and where he is in the uh, in the sort of dojo setting that I guess is probably am I am I right thinking that's probably his dojo that that was, uh, though, yeah. that was from? he trained there. I think he trained there. I think he has a. The, the dojo he teaches at, I think, is a different place. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Dumbass uh, Shakedown and uh, Attack the Dojo uh, are the two shorts. Uh, I think, that, have you, or have you have you done other sh shorts together, or is it just those two? So there was one we did together called Iron Jade, where oh, yes. uh, it's also inspired by old kung fu movies, except, you know, you have a, a female warrior who's fighting for the honor of her mother, whom mm -hmm. David's character took on a date and then bailed. Uh, right. and it's a lot of sword fighting a lot of comedy and that was at, like it, it's funny because he seems to do really well when he's playing despicable people but he is like the kindest person i've ever met so <laughs> he plays like he plays uh the villain in lost phoenix so he he really like revels in that kind of a role and also just in iron jade same kind of thing except he's a bit more slimy Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's like the the polar opposite of who he actually is so it's just really funny like all right guess what guess what you're doing now dave um yeah we we've actually we've been friends for a long time we've been friends for over 10 years we've actually met on a web series and you know just like i like we just kind of like got along really well on set next thing you know he's like hey you know i want to do this dumbass shakedown movie and once we kind of worked on that, we just kept on working together uh, mm -hmm. because we we work really well together. We're good friends. And he he seems to he underestimates his own ability. He actually is a trained actor. He studied theater in college before uh, starting a career as an engineer. But now, like he's, you know, from his like 50s onward, he kind of decided, you know what? I miss acting. I want to try to do this again. So we got into the local film scene. And now he is, he's retired, but now he has all his time to like pursue acting. And it's like, it's like, that's good plan, man. I, that, that's, that's how I would want to do it. Except, you know, 
I probably won't get to retire till I'm 80, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of female warriors, um, another person in your cast I want to talk about is Eliza Kelly, plays uh, Layla. Now, I think all her, just about all her scenes are shot separately, aren't they? And then uh, sort of edited in. Yeah. So I realized the other day, like, Eliza is one of those really, really talented actors who can lift the performances of everyone around her too. Like every time she's in a scene with somebody, like they are kind of like, their their game is higher just by being around her, which sucks because it only happens twice. She only actually shares a scene with two people the entire movie. And one of them is, and it's both of the first time actors, Juan and Tom Strong. And I, I really think that like, you know, those scenes for them are some of their stronger scenes, but she kind of just, she was very much like an MVP on this movie. And she actually replaced another actress who had to drop out because, you know, she was in med school and you can't, it's hard to do med school and also be part of a, a feature project. In COVID, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. But yeah, Eliza, Eliza was fantastic. And she's actually going to be in a movie with Cynthia Rothrock soon. Oh, awesome. so yeah, Black Creek, I believe. Yeah, Black Creek. So she's building up that pedigree. It's pretty great. I, I mean, her, her character added, um, you know, a, a whole different dimension to the film. Um, yeah, and it was it was great that, that you know, that she has these conversations with uh, one Giles character, um, you know, where it, it's antagonistic, but also, you know, it, it, it's, it's in another world, it would be like um, a mismatched partnership kind of thing, you know, where the, the two guys don't get on with each other, but kind of have to work to, with each other for the same goals, um, but in, in different places. Um, yeah, I, I thought her scenes were great. And, and there's a couple of times in the film where he's sort of going, Oh shit! They've killed her off. <laughs> and then, you know. <laughs> just keeps just keeps coming back, and I, I kind of eh? I really like that. I like that trope in a lot of action movies and stuff like uh, the Eliminators by James Nunn or uh, like Maximum Risk with Van Damme, where you have mm -hmm. this one this one unkillable henchman who just keeps coming back, and they keep on like it's always like a different scenario, but they, they keep on just harassing the hero. This, I could see another universe where this is a two-hander and Eliza's character is as fleshed out as Juan's. Yeah. Um, because and I, wanted to, I wanted to make it so if I were to flip the script and tell this entire story from Layla's perspective, the movie would be just as good, if not better. Yeah, I think we missed out on, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that happen off screen. It's like, I'd I'd have loved to have seen that scene, you know what I mean. But you know, I can understand why it didn't happen, you know. Um, not not just for the benefits of the story, but you know because of the restrictions and everything. But um, uh, yeah, yeah it would have been great. It's one of those like, well, if I had, it's like if I had a real budget, I like the things I would do. Like all the fights would be twice as long, and Eliza would have twice as much screen time. <laughs> um, now budget. Um, you you sort of like. Um, dropped a while ago. You just happened to mention in passing that this film costs around about ten thousand dollars. That's correct. That's insane. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's <laughs> insane that you managed to put together a coherent film, not only in in COVID, but also, you know, to such um, what what would be by any standard, you know, a, a very tight budget. I, I've I've known. Uh, short films to to be looking for more money to be funded, 
you know, that, that is crazy, mate. My, my assistant editor, uh, he made a short film that probably had a higher budget than this film did, but um, the the way, like, the way to make a $10,000 feature-length action movie with a surprising amount of action characters and locations, you kind of have, I had to, um, and also do it during COVID, I had to create this really, really super efficient production method so that we could we could shoot with as like as little as sometimes it was just me and an actor like the sequence where uh where isaac's character is going around doing the the freelancer stuff that was just me and juan running around downtown richmond uh with a camera and a gimbal and you know i'm like okay let's see if we can fake some michael bay shots these some really cool like orbit shots but yeah like we didn't have a sound person uh, all of our audio was recorded using the wireless lav mic system. Um, our lights were very, they were these like, like three and a half to four foot long RGB light tubes. And they were really, really lightweight. They could fit on all kinds of stands. You could literally tape them to the wall if you wanted to. Other lights we had were about the size of a smartphone, but they were ridiculously bright. So, which really helped for night shooting because we could move them around really quickly. They were small, they were powerful. If I needed to, I could have someone just like, if I had to like move with an actor, I could have someone like just carrying the light along with them if I needed say a fill or a backlight. Hmm. Uh, but I was all also being the editor. I knew what I needed to do. I knew what I needed to get to actually know I had the scene in the, in, in the can. So I wasn't really going and getting a lot of coverage I wasn't gonna use. So a lot, a lot of it is just like, you know, making making it so like yeah you don't have a lot of moving parts um you can still maintain some really good quality but you also don't need a lot of people you don't have to worry about organizing a lot of schedules and i mean overall like my my goal was how cinematic can i make this movie uh given the resources i have and Honestly, I kind of want to try to do it again at about the same budget level because I learned so much during the process of making this that I think I could do it. I think I could do it better a second time. Yeah, with with actual people in the shot. <laughs> I know it's like you know well, that that is the one thing. Uh, it it did look, but I, I noticed that about a lot of COVID movies like uh, Castle Falls, mm. they yep. all kind of look empty. But I think this is kind of a it's a side effect of this is kind of a, a consequence of filming during the lockdown. But yeah, having a few more people in a shot, having some extras would have been really nice. I mean, what, what, <laughs> one of the one of the trends that we've seen with, with, with COVID is, is uh, the films where it's literally one person on screen dealing with like lots of phone calls or lots of people talking to them and, and things happening off camera. You know, um, the one we did last week called On the Line, we're about a telephone operator during the 60s um, following along this, this sort of kidnapping that's happening. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've come across that a lot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's various horror films where it's like one or two people. Um, but, but as I said, you know, action films, not so much. So yeah. so this is, um, yeah, definitely uh, refreshing um, to come across. What would you say, uh, James, would be... I mean, you know, we, we talked we talk to various filmmakers, um, sort of short filmmakers and things. Making this, COVID aside, what was your biggest obstacle? I would say locations and money. <laughs> um, locations I've never uh, are tricky. 
Um, one of the one of the hacks I've learned is if you are able to shoot quickly, it's a lot easier to ask someone, hey, can I film in this place for six hours instead of, hey, can I film this place for six days? Yeah. So that was so being able to shoot fast helped around helped a lot for that. But um, also, despite the fact that the budget was about ten thousand dollars, we never had ten thousand dollars banked for this movie. Um, I don't think we ever had more than twenty five hundred in the bank for this movie at any given time. So I would shoot as tactically as I possibly could. Uh, we would oftentimes break for the holidays or break for the summer because Richmond summers are insanely hot and everyone was dressed for the fall, like dangerously hot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, that would also give me an opportunity to try to raise more money uh, through, you know, crowdfund or like just from like, you know, raising money from my paycheck, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it kind of reminded me of being a poor college student and having to wonder, okay, well, I can hold off on paying these two bills so I can pay this bill and also afford food for the week. That's kind of the same feeling I got making this movie was you're, you're shifting things around to try to keep the lights on. And, you know, you're always kind of one really bad disaster away from everything just imploding. And I, you know, I, I am still like, there are so many instances like losing actors or losing locations, like one place flooded um, that could have, that could have killed the project. And somehow like we just persevered every time. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's the danger as well, isn't it? I mean, in, in that particular period, any of your actors could have gone down you know, with, with COVID, um, regardless of whether they caught it on set or elsewhere, it, it, it must have been a very high risk. It, it, that was always like, I was always making sure, I was like, everyone feeling okay? Is everyone, you know, don't come to, if you are sick, we're, we're going to have to postpone. What's really interesting is for most, I think for most shoots, I think it were a maximum of maybe four people on set, including actors, maybe five at most. But there was one day where we were filming in a doctor's office where there was a about eight or nine of us. It was the most people we had on set the entire production and is the day I got COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, it was wild. Like two, we'd been filming for almost two years without so much as a sniffle. And that one day, the second to last day was the day I got COVID. Yikes. So how, you know, so, so two, two years, is that how long it took to, to film and, and put the film together? So it took about two years to shoot and then another year to edit. But what I remember listening to an interview with Eddie Hamilton uh, about Mission Impossible Fallout mm. when he's talking about when you know Tom Cruise violently shattered his ankle and they had to shut down production. They started to edit during that time. And what was really interesting is they were actually able to look at the movie that they had and that you know encouraged them to make changes to stuff they hadn't filmed yet. So I decided, well, okay, the two-year production, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be editing this whole time too, so that I can see what do we have, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, and what are the opportunities to, you know, make this movie better. And there's a lot that happened in that span of time. Like there were, like uh, the character of Roman um, went from being kind of this like big brute to being probably like one of the most sympathetic characters in the movie. And that the his character's like ultimate fate, what that wasn't what it originally was. But I think it was you know being able to stop and look at what's going on, look at Tom's performance, and realize I need to this guy's ending needs to be different. 
he absolutely needs to, I, I, you know, and that ultimately changed. A lot of things just got updated, like the doctor was a different character. And that actress was actually originally auditioned for Layla during the, during the, um, the proof of concept days. And she didn't get that role, but I'm like, I want you to play this doctor role. I think you're great. She stuck with us for two years. Wow. Uh, and then finally got to play the role. She was on set for one day, but <laughs> um, she's like all throughout the movie and she her character does have a pretty significant impact on the main character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Rich, any, any more questions from you? Uh, no, just on the on the note about... Uh, uh, was um uh, Tom Strong I just mm. thought I was quite taken with his you know his his physical presence in the film and there's great uh, still on the uh, on the IMDb page which fantastically shows him uh, ho holding a shotgun and he says this guy needs a movie of his own <laughs> I, just want, I just want to see him whether it's a short film or a long film or whatever I, I'd like to see him have a go at playing action hero um in his own project uh, the other thing I want to mention was uh, uh, Lost Phoenix doesn't isn't comedy or anything, but I think you know you're, you're really good with with comedy. There's uh, say the the shorts we've mentioned earlier, but also Video Sniper, which I know you uh, you you play the ma the main character in, uh, uh, who's uh, being uh, harassed by uh, Jared uh, Kearney's uh, Floyd, uh, the video store employee. I, I just thought that was a fantastically written. Uh, um, and presented little short of, of banter between <laughs> between you and the, and the really uh, and the frustration that that he's got and the, the whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. So so um, yeah, so I just wanted to sort of sh uh, shout out that film to to uh, recommend listeners to to go and check that one out, as well as um, uh, many others that uh, are on uh, your YouTube uh, channel, which can be found uh, by uh, searching for Red Better Films uh, with uh, two T's. Uh, and or, or just looking up um, James Couchet, uh, the, uh, looking up your name, uh, you'll be able to find uh, over 30 videos on there, including many, many shorts, including the ones we've mentioned. So, yeah, um, I'd like to see you work uh, with more sort of action comedy uh, in, a, in, a, in a future feature project. Uh, that would be my wish. <laughs> do, do, oh, are, are you working on anything at the moment, James? Is, I mean, you know. So now, I have now. a I'm actively writing two scripts right now. Uh, and I have taken that I have taken that feedback into consideration. Like there there was a decent amount of humor in Lost Phoenix. I think it kind of came about during production more than during the script because I wrote the script when I was in a kind of a dark place. Um, but yeah, the, I've video sniper, I think is actually my most pos uh, my most uh, popular short. And uh -huh. that was just a lot of fun to film. Uh, Jared Kearney, I met him working on Mario Warfare which mm -hmm. is also a fantastic web series. And he was brilliant. And I'm like, half of what happened, like at one point for the his rant at the end, I just gave him some basic directions and let him go. <laughs> and like I and I had to cut back to him after the credits because I'm like, I can't let I can't let this not go scene. Like this is brilliant stuff. He just <laughs> went insane and I loved it. Awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, and we will put a link to your your uh, YouTube page in the footnotes. Um, James, thank you very much for joining us this evening. It's been great talking to you. Um, great listening to some of your stories behind Lost Phoenix. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll let you know when, when this episode drops. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to speak to you. Good talking to you.
Our first review then is Deliver Us. Father Fox, a priest from St. Petersburg, is sent to a convent where a nun called Sister Julia is pregnant with twins, supposedly through immaculate conception. Her pregnancy coincides with a prophecy which has been kept secret for thousands of years, and it's not long before dark forces are drawn to the newborns and Father Fox, Sister Julia, and the Cardinal Russo are running for their lives to save the children. Okay. Um, this starts brilliantly. It has one of the best openings for a horror film I've seen for many a year. And it, unfortunately, it, it sh it's shot its load in the first minute. Uh, um, it never recovers from that high. It's it's solid enough all the way through, but it can't deliver on that promise. And unfortunately, what it's selling at the beginning is nowhere to be seen. You know, on the internet, right, guys? You know, you really? know, you get you know you get these. Um, oh, the, the, you, you get these montages or these things, and it says like. Oh, 20 things that, you know, are going to be sh sort of shocking, shocking photographs from the World War II or something like that. And it shows you a photograph that draws you in. And then when you look at that article, that photograph is never in there. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you know, the sort of thing I mean, um, that's kind of what this does, because we get this brilliant bit to do with this prophecy. Uh, you know, which has been tattooed on the backs of these people, you know, is a secret thing. And it's never fully explained as to what it is or why these people have it on their packs or anything like that. It's just like a thing which we see and it's never really explained at all. And it, it's a real shame because that is, for me, that is the hook to the film. I don't care about the kids. You know, <laughs> I want to know more about this, this whole prophecy thing and how it's been kept alive for like 2000 years or even more than that, you know, because it's supposed to predate biblical times. Um, that was my way into it. Um, the rest of it was like, and, and, and the color seemed to drain from the film as well. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes very, very bland. I mean, I mean, I think they did it to sort of like uh, make the color red pop out more. You know, everything else sort of fades to sort of sepia almost. And the, but then it's like, oh, no, there's a bit of red there. Look, sort of, you know, focus I also, th also think it's a bit of the atmosphere. They're really trying yeah. to sort of say how what, what how bleak things are. But, yes, some of it's really, really warm. And, uh, yeah, the, I, w I was like you. Uh, some, of the, some of the scenes, I was just like, this just looks really washed out. And I'm, I'm not mm. liking this at all. And it was like, oh, thank God the colours come back again. It was like the film <laughs> sort of felt a bit more like, like when they're looking at the art and stuff. And. And yes, things like that. Was, the colours were coming back in those scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll talk a bit more in a, in a minute, but over to Steve. Steve, did this film make any sense to you? I didn't watch this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have checked before we did that. Um, so, Rich, what did you make of this one? Did it make any sense at all? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was really, uh, really, I really liked it actually. For the most part, it's um, it it. You know, it's your typical, well, at least it sets itself up as seeming like your typical Catholic priest exorcism kind of movie, uh, which we've seen a few times lately with um, the Pope's Exorcist and the new Exorcist Believer film and stuff. But this, it kind of sets that up, but then it goes off in a different direction um, with, uh, you know, once uh, the priest is on the scene and he meets the uh, the woman uh, who's, um, say, uh, uh, who's pregnant, 
uh, the nun, uh, and you think he's going to do exorcism, he's kind of stuff, but he doesn't. There's, there's this whole spiriting away and, and stuff and uh, being pursued. Uh, the uh, so I was yeah I was really engaged with it from both Alexander Siddig's in there from for, uh, Doctor Bashir from uh, Star Trek uh, yeah. Deep Space Deep Space Nine I think. Yes. Um, right. uh, so we I've seen him in, popping up in quite a few things, but this is probably Skyline the biggest three. role I've seen him in for a while. Sorry. Yeah, Skyline Three, and um, also, oh, the, uh, the Rona Mitra one, Doomsday. Was he in Doomsday? Oh yeah, yeah, pretty sure he was. Uh, I think so. You say he, he pops up all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a this is an Estonian film, which I found quite interesting. So lots of it, uh, I wasn't sure if it was Russian, but but it's set in Russia at first, and then it goes to Estonia. But it was shot entirely in Estonia, um, and it's got like a. I think the director is uh, the director and. It, uh, actually, there's two directors, Crew Ennis uh, uh, and um, and Leroy Kuntz, who's who's actually the guy playing the priest, I believe, uh, Father Fox, uh, who I wasn't actually drawn to as as a as a as a star presence in in the film, but you know he was okay uh, and all right. But let's say it was really that it was the cinematography and the sort of the uh, the intrigue of what was going on. Really, I was really drawn in. I did, I did, I like you. I think that opening is fantastic, really arresting, um, really dra drags you in. And yes, you're right. I, I don't think they really capitalize on that. It kind of go very quickly, sort of tails off because it introduces uh, Thomas Kretschmann, who's another character actor I'm very fond of, uh, as this sort of he's psycho. He's very recognizable, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, he's got a good role because he suddenly turns up where, where you don't expect him to turn up. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a decent yeah. little moment when he does. Yeah, he's 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 quite antagonistic, uh, and there's there's a lot of stuff going on uh, with him. He's kind of lurking through the film, um, and the I think it, I think I was with it most of the way. I think the ending was a bit damp, a bit of a damp squib for me. Uh, didn't quite, uh, you know. I think I get what was happening, but it was kind of like, oh, is that it? Kind of thing, um, but. I thought it all played out quite nicely. There was, there's, there's these funny, weird. There's like this. There's lots of other stuff going on. Like there's a subplot involving um, the uh, father fox has a girlfriend or fiance, mm. and she works for like a an oil company, I believe. And there's like a, a sickness or whatever that's happening in the town, and they're being blamed and whatever. But this is all part of the. This is all part of the um, uh, the sort of evil influence. That is uh, that is occurring, and, and you know the, the the storm clouds are gathering and stuff like that. Um, and don't forget the eclipse. There's an eclipse, as well. yeah, which which comes to the, <laughs> yeah one of two films this week with an eclipse, exactly. Yeah. Um, which is which is another weird coincidence. And we uh, we always have these kind of weird coincidences when we do these things. Um, but the uh, yeah, so the it, it's got the eclipse and everything, and the, say I think all the art stuff that you know they've gone to great efforts, great pains to pre to prepare all the. Um, the art, whether that's something they've sourced or that you know the the art department or whatever actually created for the film, that that, that adds a lot of that adds, adds a lot to the film. You know, yeah, those back tattoos and everything. The production well, design, you know, that, yeah, yeah. That, that whole thing it was it was great value in that. You know, all of that. Yeah, excellent production values on this. It's really, really, it's a really good, high quality film. Um, I think it really it, it can reasonably stand shoulder to shoulder with um, you know the m m most. Uh, American, like Pray for the Devil, stuff like that, which mm -hmm. we've had in 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 cinemas recently. Yeah. I think it's perfectly decent. 
uh, I just the the other film that came to mind was that one that was shot in Finland, uh, which was about the which was also about children, but they they were like actually actually young children. It was like a couple. Do you remember that one? We found it. Yeah. I think we found that one a bit disappointing, but yeah, that it was, was shot in English, of, wasn't it? That one. Yeah, same as this. This is shot oh, in English. Yeah, right, yeah. With a swing. Yeah, yeah, the, the one with the giant one. swing. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. So, that, yeah. so it came to, so that was kind of the sort of ballpark of the kind of film that was coming to mind. But I thought this was sort of head and shoulders above that in terms of some of the performances and some of the stuff that happens. There's some great, there's some quite gruesome moments uh, that are quite well executed. There's like there's a, a great bit with uh, the wolves. Yeah. wolves and stuff. Yeah. Um, not CGI wolves, actual wolves they've got in the film. So, uh, yeah, good. I'd say fat horror fans would get. You know, would would enjoy it. Um, I think maybe it's not as satisfactory as I would like. But then again, I, th I find that with most horror films is that they don't quite, you know, go, you know, uh, fully satisfactory with their premise, whatever it is. It, it might it might pull its punches, or you know, it just doesn't develop things as I would like. But I thought for the most part, this was very good. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's, there's, there are some standout scenes in this. Like the, the thing with the, the wolves, for one. Um, I was surprised how much Alexander Siddig was in it, considering how. Well, far yeah, down, exactly. That's what I meant. Far yeah. down is found on how far down the cast list he is, especially on IMDb. Um, you know, I thought I thought he was one scene and done, but he he sticks around for a good chunk of the film, and, and is, you know, it's one of the main protagonists for a while. Um, the other, the and you don't thing, quite, you're not sure how much to trust him, which is quite yeah, good because exactly, there's yeah. this whole, there's all he the does, stuff. He does, he does tend factions. to play sleazy, sleazy politicians, you know, <laughs> so like having politicians. So, so yeah, exactly. There is that. Um, you know, some some of the lighting in this, uh, there's uh, cinematography. There's um, mm. a scene with the, the statue of the Virgin Mary at the beginning, which which is very atmospheric. You know, so the way that's all all shot. Um, and I, I must admit, I kind of like the ending, or I like how they filmed the eclipse. Mm. You know, um, in, in this, it is very, you know, it's, it's quite a stark contrast to the way it's shot in the next film we're going to be talking about. Um, but I, I, I just found it a little bit muddled as to everyone's motivations. You know. Um, Okay, is is killing the kids a good thing or a bad thing? Or you know, it's 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 one of those because the two children who are being born, one is supposed to be pure pure good, and the other is supposed to be pure evil. And the idea is, you know, you've got to protect one from the other. However, certain people seem to think, well, let's just kill both of them, you know, and get it out of the way. Then we don't have to choose. Um, so 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 there's a little bit of sort of like. Uh, confusion as to who's supposed to be doing what um, and wh whether or not the ending is actually a good ending or not a good ending. You know, mm. um, it, it could be construed in either way. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's reasonable. That's 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 yeah. more than reasonable, I think. I, th I think there's a line towards the end where somebody says, you know, if you don't kill them, no, if you don't kill them, you're saving God, but if you do kill them, you're saving humanity kind of thing. So, so it is an interesting sort of set up and, and you know obviously we never find out whether or not um <laughs> what the consequences are of that decision mm. you know but there you go so on, the, on that note rich uh how are you going to score deliver us i'm going to give it a seven yeah this is a solid very very great production values um i have to admit there was one jump scare or at least one moment it did make me go mm, a little bit which hardly ever happens 
Um, and yeah, there's, there's a fair decent amount of you know gore effects going on. Lovely uh, scenery, good performances, yeah, very atmospheric. There's, there's, there's lots to know, recommend there, here. There is a lot to recommend. You know, there's a few sort of Chekhov gun moments. It's the whole thing with the, um, you know, the, the traps. <laughs> you know, they're, they're very much signposted. That's you know, yeah, somebody's going to get caught in a trap. You know, in a bear trap or whatever. Um, definitely going to happen. But yeah, otherwise, um, this is a, a decent uh, horror film. So two sevens for Deliver Us. Go check it out. Our next review is The Seeding. Wyndham Stone is a photographer who is out in the desert to take photos of a solar eclipse. On his way back to his car, he meets a young boy who says he's lost. However, when Wyndham tries to help him, he's led further into the desert and then abandoned. Eventually, he comes across a mysterious woman living in a crater. Okay. Uh, welcome to our latest COVID movie. Uh, yeah. Um, this is another sort of single location, two characters on screen at any one time. Everyone else is, you know, um, shot separately. Um, however, I think this is one of the more striking looking uh, COVID films we've come across. The photography is pretty phenomenal, especially at the beginning. Um, you know, the location is incredibly unique. It's, uh, it's, it's a great sort of location that's set up. And it's it's got some interesting sort of twists and turns to it as it develops. Uh, Steve, what did you make of the seeding? Yeah, it's definitely definitely a COVID movie, without a doubt. Um, like I say, looks beautiful. There's a couple of great, really interesting shots, and so especially like the scenes where he's trying to escape. Um, Always being pulled up on the rope and stuff mm. like that, and you're like, whoa, 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 hang on. But to me, it was just a little bit flat. You know, it looks great, but there's no real moving on in the story or anything. It's just, you know, trapped in this canyon, dust bowl, whatever, going on the day to day. And then the ending just kind of comes out of nowhere, in a way. And it just left me a little bit disappointed. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, so so in, in this film, we've got, you know, there is a threat, you know, there's these kids, you know, who are, they're not called the Lost Boys, but they're basically the Lost Boys kind of yeah. scenario. And, you know, there is a folk horror element to this film um you know mm. we, we we learn that you know the, these kids are sort of doing these chants they've got these rituals which are sort of based on this ancient language that's been handed down through generations uh, so you so, you know you're thinking okay so where are these kids come from in, in you know this sort of thing um i failed to mention earlier rich that this film does start with probably one of the most triggering scenes for a parent ever uh, when oh, got, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, all three of us are parents, and I'm sure you had the kind of same re reaction to me seeing this little toddler in a in a very soiled nappy, you know, chewing on a finger. As, as, yeah, as he, as he yeah I was thinking, how did they do that? What 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 did they? 
I guess yeah. they made a prosthetic finger and like put some peanut butter or yeah. something on it. Or but he was like, he was like pulling bits off of it, wasn't he? And yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it was really yeah. uh, a quite a uh, quite an impressive bit of um, yeah. work there. For acting for like a three-year-old, yeah, <laughs> pretty decent. Um, yeah, so so the, these kids are nasty pieces of work. We do get to see their handiwork at various points, including their penis um, <laughs> at one scene. Um, but they're sort of like I, I kind of felt they were underused in the film. You know, you, you kind of forget they're there for long periods, and then they sort of turn up again and do something evil, and then go yeah, away. Yeah, that's again. yeah, because they're not there for long periods. They they, they only show up about what three, three or four times. Yeah, two or three times. Yeah. Mm. So you've got so much in between where there's nothing. It's just Wyndham and the woman, basically. You know, yeah, you know. it, it just, it just, it was just too flat. Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it goes down the 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 expected. You know, they'll come together and stuff mm. like that, and start not a family, but you know, a, a kind of a relationship, even if it's sexual now and again, but. That's it. Indeed. You know, there's nothing really else there except when the kids turn up and give them a bit of shit. It and to me, that's, yeah. like, that's like on a Saturday night, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It kind of, I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, there's a famous Star Trek Next Generation episode called The First Light, uh, where Picard is sort of sucked into this alternate reality kind of thing where he's living on this planet you know and he's like you know at first he's like no i'm not i, I don't live here i'm a starship captain and all the rest of it and eventually he's like going you know i seem to be stuck here you know there's this woman who keeps saying she's my wife she's actually pretty nice you know why don't i settle down and have a family and sort of lives out his life there and then at the end of the episode he's sort of sent back to the to the enterprise and it's like only been like a couple of minutes. Anyway, I digress. But I was I was getting a kind of vibe from that, you know, because time moves on in this film. You know, that's one of the interesting things about it. It's, it's not um, set over a day or two. You know, it's, it's like weeks become months. You know, uh, where, where he's sort of stuck there, and he kind of becomes institutionalized a bit. Um, every now and again, he sort of thinks he might have a way out. Like when he tries to turn one of the the lost boys. You know, yeah. in, um, and that goes horribly wrong. Um, so, so yeah, it, you know, there, there was that sort of interesting element of that sort of um, institution uh, sort of setting in with him. You know, it's um, yeah, a bit like Shawshank, I guess, as well. You know, mm. <laughs> but um, okay. So, Rich, what did you make of uh, the seeding? I think it's a lot more uh, sort of. Uh... Not esoteric is probably the wrong word, but sort of like more art, artfully minded than perhaps the more mainstream deliver us. I think they're quite in, an interesting mm. pair because they cross over in quite. They're both quite different, but they cross over in certain themes and and, and stuff. Part you know, in, uh, like the use of the eclipse being one, and the the sort of uh, um, the, the 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 dynamic between the the male and female character and. Um, stuff uh the the film is uh very it's shot in a desert shot in utah so it's very 
very warm compared to say the uh, sort, of, sort of Estonian uh, snowy locations. So this one's you know blisteringly hot. Like the character, um, the the uh, the female character um, whose name is uh, oh god, was it Alina? Is it Alina yes, that character? I think so, yeah. yeah. So she, she's um, she's like don't stay out in the don't go outside for too long because basically you'll get burnt. Uh, you know, it's like it's that hot. Um, the um, I thought the the the, tr the thing that tells you what it's going to be is the soundtrack. When it starts mm. out, it's got this really quirky, um, you know, uh, 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 compositions, uh, you know, sort of, sort of clanking sounds and things. And I was I was a bit worried because I was like, oh, we're in sort of art film territory here. Mm. Um, and there is a bit of that, but it is quite mainstream, really. But there's a lot of stuff that's uh, introduced that's not developed, and I think that's by design. They're trying to keep it as vague as they can. Like, like we say, um, there's certain things that are uh, are introduced, like about the community of boys and stuff, which doesn't really get explained or you know uh, at all. Um, there's a reference to a palace, but that's never sort of elaborated on and. There's, um, there's. Uh, I, I agree with the the folk horror kind of thing. That so yeah, it leans a little bit towards the folk horror, and there's little touches of that. But it again, it doesn't go full on. There's no. you could definitely see um, a connection between say this and the Wicker Man, hmm. but it doesn't develop it as much as say the Wicker Man does. I don't think um, there's. It's a bit more. Uh, it's very vague, basically. A lot of a lot of what what's going on, and so you get some explanation, but uh, it it might not satisfy everyone. I think it's reasonable. I think I would like to have had a bit more explanation, but I think it's reasonable sure. what we get. Uh, performances were good. Um, our, our main character, um, uh, played by Scott Hayes, is kind of he's kind of just a regular guy just introduced he's this photographer and that and he gets kind of caught up in this thing so we don't know him there's no uh there's no setup yeah. to uh, establish his character we don't see him at work and then oh i'm gonna be going out whatever and he talks to somebody no he literally arrives at the desert mm. with with sort of no um no uh, no prologue or anything uh we're not involving him that's the child things the mm. prologue but the um yeah he turns up and then it's kind of you know the story just like starts to unfold which is quite um interesting because we don't know his character but we sort of start to in by the way he deals with the situation that he's in is uh how we sort of uh get to know his character and sort of you know there's times we understand his frustration there's other times we're like we don't like him because yeah. it's like he's very he's not being reasonable yeah, exactly. he's been quite yeah quite insufferable and quite mean and uh mm. there's a little bit of a uh not well so it kind of it, it leans a little bit towards an abusive relationship and you know so he's he's he, she's looking after him and yes she's being very vague and you know not not giving him answers and maybe not talking to him or whatever but she's she's kind of uh looking after him uh to a degree and yes he's she's not he's got, he's got questions and she won't give him answers but then, you know, he, the way he deals with that is sort of push her around a bit and stuff at times, which yeah. um, does mm. sort of push you away from the character. But then he ends up in a, in, in a certain confined spaces and stuff, uh, which is um, uh, sort of puts you more on his side because that's like a really bad, you know, he finds himself in a really, really bad, even worse situation than he was already in. Mm. Um, uh, so, 
yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. Um, I, was, I was quite engaged with it. Uh, didn't uh, I would have liked to have known a bit more about the sort of backstory and the, and the, and the stuff with the kids and how they're surviving? Um, yeah. Because it, it, the way the way it's kind of presented is, it's like they could be ghosts. You know, it's just like they just they're just these sort of random. Uh, uh, they just randomly appear and stuff, and it, it could be like they're. They're not real, but I think it, the film makes it clear that they are. But it's like, well, how, how, and where are they? So, I, you know, there's a little bit of a wrong turn mm-hmm. kind of element to it. Of you know, it's like um, somebody ends up in the wrong place, and you know, there's a local community kind of. Um, did I mention Jugface earlier? That was the other thing that came to mind in terms right. of sort of folk yeah. horrors and stuff. Um, yeah, so Jugface is um, the way that film really developed the community i thought was yeah that's was, right uh, yeah. one of its strengths and stuff and so i don't know Pre- whether, yeah. not necessarily Pre- i don't see them doing a sequel to this i was just pondering all the time mm. what does that title mean <laughs> i was just mm. thinking what what's the seeding what what is it what is it and, then, and i guess you you do get the answer but i was like oh okay um, and I was hoping was, for something yeah. more primordial and probably look what you were i mean you know there there is some really good <laughs> aerial photography in this uh, it, it mm-hmm. really you know makes use of um the environment you know you're saying it's like a pro- um, a sort of folk horror but i think it's even more primordial than that in that yeah. you know we we see all these great shots of the, the way the the earth has been formed and the different layers and the, you know the way the different strata sort of like swirls around um the, the craters and things like this it, it looks really good and the, the, you know that very first well the, the moment we're introduced to Wyndham's character when he when he drives in and he's following this sort of dirt road you know sort of single dirt road which literally just ends yeah in the middle of the desert you know it's kind of loops back on himself and it, it it's it's like it's where the map's just given up you know it's where if you're on sat nav it's like it would just like shrug at you and go you're you're on your own now yeah <laughs> you know, here be dragons kind of kind of thing you know what I mean it's like this is the end there's nothing beyond this point, um, which, which was, uh, again, you know, quite quite an interesting hook to sort of draw you in a bit as, as to what was going on. I like the ending. Um, I, I agree the um, it was a bit abrupt and it didn't really explain itself very well. You know, there's a sort of quite violent act at the end. and But I, I kind of, in a um, very sort of gruesome way, I, I like that shot of the body just lying there. You know, it just mm. it's just been discarded. It's not even been buried or anything. It's just there. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was um, you know just interesting. It, it just mm. showed how much that person was worth. To, to, you know, um, at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one. Um, it's it, it's you know it's not the first COVID film we discussed. Obviously, as I said, we um, yeah we we've had Lost Phoenix. We've had. Um, uh on the line last week so you know even the islands has got got elements of you know some of it possibly being done in covid times um so fun fact fun fact about this one Mm -hmm. it's directed by barnaby clay Mm -hmm. who directed amongst other things the music video for rule the world by take that wow (laughs) (laughs) Because I think, am I right in thinking that he's done a lot of sort of TV work? This is his first feature, isn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, that looks. Uh, yeah, I've seen, I've done various, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of music video stuff, uh, a couple of documentaries and things. I think 
that um yeah he started out working with like rihanna and uh did a i think like a documentary or something i've done a couple of different things so i think this is probably his like first like feature narrative feature film as far as i can tell and um if if you know he's i mean the, the music video sort of thing does come through i think in the aesthetics of the film yeah. you know that it's quite the, you know the what the uh, and the music as well so i think I the, that, the those music. are two of the most striking aspects yeah. of it yeah i did enjoy yeah. the music it was quite intense at times um i didn't yeah. like it at first but i did warm to it i think it really characterized the film perfectly and there's loads of weird moments in the film lots of like we because deliver us has like dream sequences and cutaways it's all weird oh, it moments. Had so many bloody dream but this sequences. one's got like, but this one's got quite a few you know as well and it's uh and it's all and there's lots of there's lots of randomness to it mm. you know that's so what i say it's got that sort of art artful sort of air to it rather than uh being a bit more sort of linear it is quite it is linear but it's got these little asides and sort of uh, a certain tendency to sort of hold things back from the from the viewer sort yeah. of let them to sort of cast their own interpretations on it and stuff yeah Okay, on that note, uh, guys, how are we going to score it? So, Steve? I'll give it a six. Mm -hmm. And Rich? I find it quite interesting. Yeah, so I think I'm going to give it another seven. I've given this one a seven as well. So two sevens and a six for the seeding. Go check it out. Our next film is Marmalade. After being arrested for bank robbery, a young man called Baron ends up in a prison cell with Otis, a hardened criminal who has a history of escaping jail. Baron convinces Otis to help him escape, filling him in on how he ended up robbing banks with a love with the love of his life, a free-spirited young woman called Marmalade. Now, when we were sort of like, you know, getting ready to do this episode and sort of looking at the list of films. And reading this synopsis for this, I remember just groaning and going, oh, no, this sounds awful. And, you know, when the film starts, that's exactly... In media res. Yeah, all that sort of crap. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just stopped with it at all. Until about the halfway mark, when... Sudden, maybe even earlier than that, is an incident that happens, and certain character gets revealed to be someone he isn't. You know how, how long it is? Go on, then. 50 minutes in. It was 50 minutes in. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, crap. I mean, all, 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 the, all the flashbacks and shit. Um, however, you know, the two leads... I thought were great. Obviously, we've got um, what's his face from Stranger Things, um, Joe Keery. Keery, yeah, Steve, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you know his accent is a bit dodgy, but you know, great to see him. And Aldis Hodge, who is um, you know one of the main characters in the series Leverage, which I absolutely loved. Um, he also turned up in the second Jack Reacher movie with um, uh, Tom Cruise. Um, really good actor. Really enjoyed seeing him in this. Um, and uh, you know there was some interesting banter bits, like when when he starts telling the story and it's like really flowery and shit, and he's like, no, no, just don't, don't 
you know, cut out the crap. Just tell me what happened. You know, that sort of thing I, I liked. And, and the whole thing about um, the croquet and crochet. Mm-hmm. As well, as yeah. well, you know, so, you know, little bits like that were starting to sort of like nag at me a little bit, going, mm, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought. And then you get to you know, this certain point, it's like, oh, actually, this is a lot more interesting than I was expecting. Um, and, and it did sort of draw me in completely from that point on. Um, mm-hmm. And even then, it had some surprises as the film go, you know, went on. This was actually quite enjoyable. I, I did like this. Um, Steve, what do you make of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably about the same as you because it it sounds awful, but she's so fucking annoying. It's untrue, mm. and you you know that it's not her with him. You know what I mean? She, she don't want to be with him. She's yeah. using him, mm. and blah blah blah. And then, like I said, when you get to that point. I just think they should have done it sooner. Right. To me, mm-hmm. 50 minutes in was far too long and it did lose me. Um, but I thought, like, the scenes in the jail cell between them two they were hilarious. I thought they were so funny. Mm. And, you know, it's just that, you know, manic picks a girl crazy. Ooh, I'll. Like you shagged me if you help me rob a bank type thing. You know, it, it's it's been done to death. It's been done a million times before. And she was she was annoying. I, I couldn't get into her character at all. And I think that was because one, she's so far over the top, it's untrue. And then two, you know what she's doing. You know she's setting them up. And, and then, think, yeah, but uh, that's that's and weirdly, that is the genius of the film. Mm. Isn't it? Yeah. Because you know, because it's sucking you in. You know that Kiri's playing this, you know, you know this lovesick puppy who's been duped. You know, and you kind, you know, so you're on his side. So yeah, it's you know, it kind of genius the way it works. You know, because you, as you say, you know, you think this this other woman, you know, the woman's incredibly manipulative and you know over the top and horrible, and you know, of course he's fallen in love with her. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very interesting the way the second half of the film plays out. Uh, Rich, yeah. Rich, what did you make of uh, Marmalade? Yeah, I think it. I I, I agree. I think the uh, when you get to that um, t- uh, that halfway point where the film basically goes off on a completely different tra- trajectory, it was much more interesting, uh, much more engaging. I think I was getting I I was um, I was getting a bit tired of that first part of what was happening, which is very much like a, um, uh, so what, what came to mind to, and I know there's lots of variations on this, but what came to mind was, um, like the, the neo-noirs that we had in the nineties, like Red Rock West and, uh, uh, the last seduction where it's like the femme fatale and the loser character is like really easily manipulated and stuff. And we, we kind of got a colorful sort of variation on that, which also then brought to mind, um, uh, something wild, the uh, Jonathan yeah. Demi film with, um, I think it was Melanie, Melanie Griffith, Griffith. Yeah. Melanie Griffith and uh, Jeff Daniels. So um, the and it, there is definitely that going on. There's all that, but the problem the problem is, like you say, yeah, she is annoying and, and so unlikable, and you think she's really not that. You know, 
she's not charming and whatever. And uh, I, you know, the um, you know, something wild that kind of worked. But she's just so clearly just arrives out of nowhere and is looking to man- to manipulate uh, him. And uh, it just you you just want think you just thinking I just I just don't see where this story is going to go because it's like he's kind of set it up as like the expectation is this kind of thing and I'm just thinking well that's not going to happen mate I'm sorry deluding himself all the way deluding through, himself yeah. but yeah I mean it's shot really nicely um, and when you got the when the different dimensions start to come in say um, at that halfway point which I think. I agree. I, I would have actually, I think I would have liked to have seen that happen earlier. Um, and then, you know, the, that, that second half is, is a lot more interesting as a result. Lots of, um, lots of cool stuff happening. And, you know, we've seen it all before. There's variations on this and I'm not going to say what it is because it will give it away, but there's, you know, it's doing, it's, you know, it's these something wilds and, and all that kind of stuff. Plus a whole bunch of other stuff you've seen before. Um, but it's quite, it's, it's, once you get over that um, that first half, which does get a bit tiresome and bleak as well, because it, it, you know it gets a bit it gets a bit dark yeah. at, at times, which doesn't quite fit. Um, mm. But then it it sort of it redeems itself uh, in that second second half. I thought Joe Keery was was good, um, and also say the um, Marmalade herself, played by Camilla Maroney, who I think is Leonardo DiCaprio's main squeeze, or at least was, or something, um, as well as being a, a you know quite a, uh, uh, an actress uh, in a, in a number of other projects. Uh, I think she's uh, she was in Death Wish, for example, the Bruce Willis version, oh, yeah. um, which I haven't seen, so I can't say what she was like in those. But she, I think she's um, she might be a model as well. Uh, that might be what she was. Actually, I think. Is she a singer as well? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, but I thought she was pretty good as the character. But you say she, she's quite a the character you know, itself. You get, you get, you get these like, like you were saying that manic pixie. You know, some they're usually you know the, the, they're sort of fancy, sort of charming kind of figures, and and she's quite obnoxious. And you know yeah. you, the way she's sort of taken over the house, and with you know when he's with his um because he's looking at uh, Joe Keery's looking after his mother and stuff and. Uh, and you just, it, it's just, it, it's a, it, it's all f- feels quite, you know, puts a sour taste in the mouth and you're just like, oh, I don't I'm really bad. But it does work in the end or, or when it turns itself around. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I thought the, um, the guy playing uh, the uh, prison, uh, uh, the cellmate, uh, yeah, say, Aldous Hodge was, yeah, he was great. He was really good. Um and there's some cool stuff because that's when it works actually better because the uh, the supporting characters start to get more scenes and it's not just about those two and then yeah. it's say the cut the, the film just sort of opens up and actually it's actually it steps away from joe keery for a while and we actually spend more time with um uh yeah. with aldous hodge and, and and a couple of other characters and stuff which i think gives uh you know br- you know adds uh sort of breathe the film breathes a bit more at that point, it's like it's not tied to this sort of particular, you know, lovers on the lamb or whatever it is, sort of conventions, you know, Mickey and Mallory or True Romance or whatever it is going to be. It's not tied to that anymore. It's it's saying right, oh, we're going to go off and do something else. Um, so that's why that's why I think ultimately it it was um, it was better than I'd, I'd 
you know, I, I didn't mind it, but it, it it did get good in that second second half. So uh, yeah, I would. It's something I would recommend. Um, but you've got to you kind of got to persevere through that first half. Yeah, definitely. It's it, it's not the sort of sappy love story kind of thing. I was ex- I was kind of expecting it to be. Um, yeah, I, li- I like some of the little asides. You know, that, that sort of crochet croquet bit. I thought was was very funny. Yeah. Um, there's a bit where he loses his job. As as a postman because he's got long hair, I mean, so the job's given to a girl with long hair. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what <laughs> crazy. Thought it was quite funny. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just an enjoyable. You know, it is a, a caper movie, but it's not the caper movie you kind of you, you know. You're, it sets itself up to be. It, it goes off and does other stuff and and you know develops its characters quite well. So yeah, yeah. A, a nice surprise basically is what this film is. Um, Steve, what are you going to score it? I'll give it a six. Mm-hmm. And Rich, uh, I'm not sure whether to drop it. It's it's a tough one. I feel like it's a seven, but but you know the the, the duration of that first mm. part sort of really drags. It. I'm going to give it a seven mm. anyway. I was like, I think it's leaning into a six, but I'm going to say seven because that that second half is so strong. We don't we don't give half marks. <laughs> no, so. I'm going to have to join you on a seven. Actually, um, I think mm-hmm. the second half of this does redeem yeah, redeem the the elements from the first half, which were dragging it a bit. Um, so there we have it: two sevens and a six for Marmalade. Go check it out. Our short shot this week is Hit Me. A contract killer teamed up with a rival in order to kill a formidable target. But can they keep their focus on the job, or will their animosity get in the way? Um, You curated this one for us, uh, Rich. What can you tell us? Uh, Well, this is a a, a, a sort of a a seven-minute fight short, essentially, um, a sort of a showcase uh, for uh, this uh, stunt performer, um uh Juliana Romez Ortiz. Juliana Romez R- Ramos Ortiz. Sorry. <laughs> it's 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 quite a complicated name. I apologize. So um yeah, so she's um she's a stunt performer who's got a vast number of credits, including the Black Panther and Blue Beetle films recently, and a whole lot, bunch of stuff coming up. Uh she she's the main uh character here. Uh, and she's also the co-director. Now, the the um, the other uh, actress who she plays opposite against is the <coughs> is the other director, uh, Ashley uh, Ashley uh, uh, Olivia, who's uh, got a much smaller um, IMDb. So I'm not sure, you know, what I don't know much about her apart from that she had a, a role in in like one other short. That, that's basically it. Um, but there. What's what I liked about this film was that it, it, it again, like a lot of like a lot of these action shorts and whatever, it's not original, but it tells its story really well. Uh, the characterization is excellent, and it, it actually um, uh, it's satisfactory uh, on on multiple uh, levels. It's it doesn't just sort of give you a bit of action. It, it's like the, the thought has gone into establishing the character and the script and sort of putting some twists in and and, and whatever so I, I was really quite taken with it yeah i have to agree um the the actual choreography is is great um that we see you know it, it, between the two ladies 
for one and then when you know their target wakes up and comes after them as well this mm. film does have a brutal table slam where the guy literally picks up a table and throws at her, you know as she's running towards him it is a, a great stunt you know i mean even if you think yeah it's, it's a breakaway table and all the rest of it but she goes down hard you know, mm. in, that, in that scene, it's it's a great moment, a real good sort of punctuation to to that particular fight scene. Um, yeah, I, I thought the choreography was great. It's um, it's very modern. You know, um, lots of elbows and stuff coming in. Um, you know, not too many sort of flailing fists. It was um, yeah, good close quarters um, sort of scrapping going on, and I thought it really worked. And and you know that sort of bitchiness to it as well. There's that sort of like cold cold blooded bitchiness. To, to the whole thing, which was um, quite kind of refreshing, and they sort of followed through with it. So, well, that yeah, was that film. There was that film Bounty that we watched. I think, mm. if, if you remember, which was about two rival bounty hunters. Yeah, uh, which had a similar flair, I thought, to, to this one. Um, you know, yeah. they're, they're sort of they're uh, in here. They're rival uh, hit. You know, they're rival assassins. Uh, and in the the other one, they, they would uh, they were just bounty hunters. But the, in both cases, they're they're two people who don't want to work together. And there's you know how much can they trust each other? And that's the trust thing is really at the heart of this. And I think they they set it all up really nicely. And there's the payoffs really work because you kind of you you uh, the 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 character stuff's introduced in one way, and then you kind of warm to maybe the characters, and you think oh maybe they're not yeah. that bad. <laughs> and then they, and then they yeah. go and then they do it. They do the old um. They pull the rug out from you because it's like. But it was the time was there all along. You yeah. knew exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> which which is where where it differs from Bounty because you know that one there's there's that sort of begrudging yes respect at respect. the end. Yeah, yes. on the side. No. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, to me, I'd say it. It the choreography was great. The action was great. I mean that that table bit. It is brutal, but having said that, I thought the whole thing was. I mean, the ending. Very surprised he went with it. To be fair, you know what I mean. It, it, that to me came out of nowhere. Yeah, and, it, and as, as you say, you know, it makes the character unsympathetic to the. You know, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, just a bitch. But, <laughs> yeah, but they went, they went, they went with it, which yeah. I was very, very shocked at. Um, what's great is they they set that all up. You go back and watch. Watch multiple points where they basically point to that's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and but you, you you're still quite the, the, the storytelling is so good that you're yeah. actually still caught off guard by it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good shot. Um, not much more to say on it. We don't score the shorts, but we do recommend you check them out. And you will find a link to this in the footnotes below. Go check it out. Our DTV throwback this week is National Lampoon's Senior Trip. A bunch of unruly high schoolers are sent to Washington, D.C. to meet the president after he was impressed by a letter he received from them written during detention. I think, guys, we've hit the nadir of comedy with this Mm. one. Um, What? Let me finish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! I mean, you know, uh, Steve, you were saying that you thought the uh, wrongfully accused film with yeah. Leslie Nielsen we covered a couple of weeks ago that was bad. This 
is even worse. Than, oh, uh, my God. I, I am I, not on the same wavelength as you guys. On the same <laughs> this does have a few redeeming features, though, believe it or not. So, for one, it is a real curiosity piece because we have a very young Jeremy Renner as, as one of the main characters. I was like, And at first, I was like going, so where is he? And then he sort of realised, oh, it's, that, it's that guy with the eyes, basically, you know, yeah. the eyes on the lips. It's like, yeah, that's Jeremy Renner. But with the sort of floppy haircut of, like, Corey Feldman or someone, you know, it's like very, very strange. Um, so so there's two things I did like about this. I did like about, you know, the, the certain characters hooking up and stuff like that. That was, especially the two stoners, uh, I thought that was quite cute. I, 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 I can go with that. Um the very bizarre guy who was like obsessed with Star Trek. What was that about? Because <laughs> no, I'm saying, why? I, I have no idea. Because when we first introduced him, he's the crossing guard, and he's like, you know, yeah. almost trying to get kids killed. And the next thing we see him in, he's, he's got this whole elaborate, um, you know, homemade Star Trek set at home, and he's sort of constantly role playing Star Trek. So it's very strange. Um, yeah, that that was bizarre. Um, now, I, I don't know. I, I got a soft spot for fart jokes. Right. I, I will. If if it's the one I'm thinking of, where they're at that monument. Yes. That's the best bit of the film. It is literally the best bit of the film. Yeah. The rest um, of it, shite. That bit, I was pissing myself. <laughs> I did actually laugh. At that yeah. particular moment, I thought it was, yeah, inspired. Um, <laughs> but the rest of it, I I just know, I just couldn't. Um, now, Rich, obviously, um, you have a different opinion to us same people. Um, what did you make of Senior Trip? Well, so I loved it back in the day when it came out, and I was I've been looking forward to seeing it because it's it's quite hard to find now, and. Um, I was, I was really looking forward to seeing it. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jerry, remember Jeremy Renner's gone out and destroyed every copy. Now, this was his first movie, uh, actually. Right. So it's like quite, um, uh, yeah. I think he because he's essentially the lead. He's not quite. He's not top build, but yeah. he is basically the main character, the main uh, uh, kid character. Mm. So yeah, what we've got here is. Um, Another National Lampoon's film in the mould of Animal House. So what they've done is they've essentially they've essentially done a remake of Animal House crossed with like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or the uh, Adam Sandler film that came later, Mr. Deeds. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, the the crazy uh, Star Trekky guy is uh, I'm not sure I can't remember the the, the name of the guy, but he's from uh, the Kids in the Hall. I don't know if oh, you've heard yeah, of, yeah. Heard yeah, of them. And the director of this was the director of uh, Kids in the Hall. Uh, the series, uh, the old series, and the sort of recent revival. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, but when I was uh, y- younger, I loved all these straight to video um, comedies that were coming, uh, coming out, and you know, uh, films like uh, PCU and Freaked and Dirty Work, um, which are all now very hard to find. Still, um, this one, I think, does stand up. I thought I, I enjoyed revisiting the characters and i like the scenario and uh, you know the, the um the uh the i mean i didn't i didn't know jeremy renner 
at the time. But I, I mean, I recognised when he started to become famous. I was like, that's the guy from Senior Trip, kind of thing. <laughs> but um, the, I think all the, you know, like Tommy Chong is the bus driver. He's basically Otto from The Simpsons. Yeah, which I thought worked quite nicely. Yeah. Matt Frewer. I'm a bit. I, I've always really liked Matt Frewer. Yeah. He's quite okay, a diverse. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you Matt Frewer. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's funny because he made this and Lawnmower Man two the same year. Or they or they were released the same year, essentially, and they couldn't be more different. I mean, he's quite he's always been one of those actors who's quite unpredictable in where he's mm. going to turn up. But he's he's most often in comedy, but every now and again he turns up in like those serious roles. And I think casting him as Job in Warmer Man Two is one of the most bizarre things. I think they were trying to lean into a Max Headroom. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, because he was he was in Max Headroom, wasn't he? Yeah, I think I think that's where that came from. That must have been the idea, but I don't know. It doesn't it didn't re- as a weird film, but um. Yeah, so I I quite enjoyed all that that st- stuff. Uh, say coming back at it, like the 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 whole setup is the same as so many other co- movies, including the Police Academy series, where it's the you know the sort of loser characters who yeah. are up against the system, and actually the system's trying to take advantage of them, so they've got to sort of overcome them. So they're introduced to sort of unappealing characters, but then actually the the straight characters of or even worse, sort of thing. Mm. So that's where because some of the stuff they do in this, I'm like, I, I, I'm not on your side. I don't know if that's me being old and, <laughs> and uh, like curmudgeonly. It was just like, yeah, I, I don't think that was pretty cool. I don't think that was cool. I mean, that, was, that wasn't a very nice prank. I mean, you did, yeah. and you just stole all that stuff from that store. <laughs> but um, no, I liked it. I thought I think it's I think it's really good. I, I'm I'm, a, I'm very fond of it, um, and I don't think it's just nostalgia. I think it's a good fun little movie. Uh, I'm not so stuck. I mean, it's very '90s grungy sort of soundtrack. Which soundtrack not, was awful. I'm not. I, I don't think part. there's many. Yeah, I'm not. I didn't really like the soundtrack, but it's very much of its time. Uh, you know, and the Stoner comedy is very much of the time. And uh, I mean, the the Stoner girl. It's just I could That's Ali you know, Sheedy basically, isn't it? This is well, Ali Sheedy. And she's kind of the Ali Sheedy, but she's also Brittany Murphy, but she's not played by Brittany Murphy. You'd, mm. you'd think it was Brittany Murphy, but um, uh, she, she's she is she's not a sort of revealer, is definitely and her name's not on the credits, so no, it's not. But you could have seen that would be the kind of it's mm. got the, again, it's kind of that manic pixie girly kind of thing, you know, from you know, when uh, Brittany Murphy and Drive, um, but this kind of this is like the stoner version, you couldn't really call her manic. <laughs> not in this, no. no but in, in Drive, they remember how crazy she was in Drive. But in like in like this, she could oh, be yeah, like the yeah. more subdued, sort of stoned version mm-hmm. of that character, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and yeah, the, I, I, I think the like you say the 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 the, the flaming uh, the man on fire scene, and that's just really cool. That's a great burn. So <laughs> that's, mm. such a good scene. Um, and uh, this Star Trek stuff, I found quite funny, and the the, the you know the uh, the stuff with the, you know, he gets in the car with the, the family and like he's got a gun and then the kid goes, is that a Walter or whatever? And the kid's got the same gun and it's like no explanation. <laughs> it's like what? And he's holding the gun to his arm. It's so, so weird. But um, yeah, so poo poo to you guys. Uh, I'm going to say <laughs> this is a, this is a cool cool movie um, from the 90s, which produced so many fantastic uh, comedies, which not enough people saw. Mm-hmm. Oh. Indeed. Um, it's better than clerks. Ooh. Yeah, wow. Men's <laughs> <laughs> fighting words, that is. Yeah. All right, it's better than Police Academy 7. 
Yeah, I'll give you that. Anything, but anything then again, after, most films yeah. are. <laughs> Any, anything after Police Academy 4 is rubbish. Oh, no, yeah. I, like, I like the others. I just hated Seven. Hated Seven. Is that Mission Over Moscow? Or is that Yeah, uh, Mission uh, Moscow. Yeah. Oh, God, worst film. As a fan, God. Yeah. Anyway, tangent. <laughs> I, think, I think I only saw up to the number four. That's when Steve Guttenberg bailed. Yeah, well, yeah. so Dags, the you know the, the Jeremy Renner character here is basically Mahoney. He's the Mahoney yeah. character in this, oh, yeah. or the yeah. or the character you know like Stripes that Bill Murray played. You know, they all they're all stock characters, and these yeah. ones they're all stock stock um, car- caricatures in this. You know, there's the there's the nerd and the um you know and the the smart girl who's sort of out of the in real life she'd be completely out of his league, but in these movies it's always like oh. He's like a complete waste loser, well, but, the, but the really intelligent, pretty girl still wants. Him. Well, that, that's that's like say anything, isn't it? It's it's Diane Court from uh, say anything, yeah. um, or even like knocked up in the Seth Rogen, uh, you know the um, uh, what's his name? What's uh, Judd Apatow? He still mm-hmm. uses that dynamic of like yeah. the sort of loserly character and the like the you know the um, the dream girl kind of thing. They always they always have that d- dynamic. Um, they never do it the other way, but um, that's yeah, true. So it's a very sort of um, old-fashioned, sort of sexist, you know, yeah. setup. And it's it's, it's kind of surprising, it. and it is surprising. You know, this was from what ninety-five. Yeah, yeah, this is ninety-five. Ninety-five, you know, because we'd already had the the Bill and Ted kind of um, stereotype mm-hmm. before, you know, so. You know, before Bill and Ted came along, there were other versions of those characters in other films, like in, well, funny enough, uh, Police Academy 4. They had the two skater guys who were basically that sort of character. There was mm-hmm. in um, Summer School with um, um, Mark Harmon. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah that is a very good yeah. one. Um, but again, they had those two, same two sort of stoner Valley Guy characters, you know, um, before... You know, eventually, sort of the the, the Bill and Ted um, sort of really honed it in and focused it. And Paulie Shaw, obviously. And Paulie Shaw, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I must admit, um, the Sona guy in this reminded me of Paulie, Paulie Shaw. Um, and and the, the other thing yeah. I did like, I did quite enjoy, was the fact that he keeps thinking the Star Trek guys after him. <laughs> you know, because yeah. he, he keeps saying everyone's like, "Oh, he's, he's following me, man." It's, it's well, he is, but he is after him. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Because he was the one who swore at him. All right, I I thought he was after the girl. No, no, he was he was specifically after that guy. Okay, because because he was the one who cursed him out. I see. Right, Uh, but another film from around the same time, which say if we ever find it, I'll try and get you guys to watch it. But the um, uh, PCU, which really wasn't it, it wasn't a National Lampoon's one, but it was basically a copy of Animal House, but set in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Directed by Hart Bochner, who played um, Ellis in uh, Die Hard, I think. Oh, but yeah. Also yeah. did um, High School High and stuff like that. So this but is it, Jer- Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven, yeah. So he's kind of the the leader of the frat, uh, frat, and it's a fantastic cast. You know, I mean, you look you look at the cast list, and like so many people are in it, like John Favreau, mm-hmm. you know, in their the early parts of their careers, Jake Busey, um, David Spade. Anyway, this is an aside, but it's kind of yeah, in yeah. a similar vein. Um, but it's if you ever if anybody ever finds it, it's definitely I I think worth a watch. It's like an hour and fifteen minutes long. Uh, it's got it's it's a lot of fun. Um, it okay. was released. I always thought it never got released in the UK because I saw it on Sky. Hmm. I always thought it never got released on video or anything. But it did. It came out as politically correct party animals, which is the 
worst retitling, I think. Oh, it's, almost like the, it's almost like the Japanese uh, translation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work at all. It's like a terrible, terrible title. But uh, yeah, PC, political party animals, very hard to find. Um, uh, I, I think that would make a good double bill with this if you in, if you enjoy this, which I, I appreciate that. Maybe I'm in the minority. <laughs> I don't know what Rotten Tomatoes thinks, but and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I'm very fond of it, and I think it stands up. If you like fart jokes, this has got one of the best. I'm not a fart jokes guy, though. I'm not a fart jokes. Guy. No, but we, like... but but we, I, I, you know, this and uh, Major Pain. Have you seen Major Pain with? Um... I'm not, I know of it, but I never. Funnily enough, I never actually watched it oh, when, when it came out. So. If, if 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 it's a, if it's a DTV one, we should do it at some point. That has got one of. It's got. The funniest fart joke in it. Um, yeah, Re really good film. Re I really enjoy it actually. For, for a kids' movie, it's great. Anyway, um, again, we don't score the uh, throwbacks. We kind of recommend them. Um, as Rich said, this is quite hard to find, um, but there is a copy on YouTube, which is free to view. Um, tons of adverts in it, though, I found. Um, don't know about you guys. You need to get premium, mate. Okay. <laughs> I think you know, Amazon's got ads now. Uh, has it? So you got to pay more for Amazon now. Yeah, yeah. No. So I'm, I'm debating whether to do that or not because I'm already paying blooming thirteen quid or whatever it is for YouTube. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Indeed, there's so many of these bloody services. We shouldn't complain, or we should. <laughs> anyway, that is the end of the show. Um, so thanks to James Cush. For, no, do it again. So thanks to James Couchet for joining us and talking about um, his film. And thanks to Rich and Steve for sticking around. And uh, we had a, a decent run this week. Had, um, no, no stinkers, apart from yeah. the throwback. But never mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's <laughs> no, it's fine. We, you know, you never I know. You you never gonna, know I, how I was really hopeful that you guys were going to like it. So you, you, uh, you never know how I've, some of these are going to play I've, out. I've, I've bombed on two comedies, so maybe I'll avoid comedies from now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter at the DTV Digest, and also the Short Shots, where we have a whole library of links for shorts. Um, we got fan films, horror films, fight films, sci-fi, action, all sorts. Go check that out. It's, um, it's, it's a great sort of collection. Uh, thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time. <laughs>